Part of living a more life includes resetting and maintaining your energy. This message is the seventh in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Energy, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We want to continue today in a series of messages entitled, I Will Reset. I want to talk to us as we started talking last weekend about resetting our energy. I want to talk to you, continuing to talk to you about that today. This is a part of a series that is broader. We started actually last September together called Made for More. And it's really based upon a very important verse that Jesus gave us in John chapter 10, verse 10. Let me set that verse up for you so you'll understand its application to your life. Before you and I met Jesus, we were living life on our own. The Bible says that we were dead in transgressions and sins. We didn't have a relationship with God until that day that Jesus Christ came knocking on the door of our heart and we opened our heart to Christ and He comes into our life and we are born again. We're brought into the family of God. And when we're brought into the family of God, we're we're brought into a, a relationship with God as our Father and brought into a sense of purpose for our lives. God has a purpose for you that you can only discover after you have a relationship with Jesus. That's how you enter into the plan of God for your life. The first plan that God has for your life is you know Jesus. And then once you know Jesus, the other dimensions of His plan start to unfold for you. And Jesus made his plan very clear in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he said, the thief, that's the devil, that's who we served before we met Jesus, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly or have life to the full. And so Jesus said, I want to bring you into a more kind of life, a more of a life than you could ever have apart from me. And so we're talking about this, this more life, this abundant life that Jesus provides for us. And this abundance of life that Jesus brings us into requires our cooperation. It doesn't just happen automatically. There are things that we have to do. There are choices that we make along the way that we learn how to walk with God. And sometimes we walk with Him better than other times, but we're learning in the journey of How do we walk with God? How do we partner up with God and do our part? And then God does his part and we're working together. And so one of the key things in learning to partner with God is making good decisions. And one of those decisions is the decision to know how to reset your life when your life needs a reset. Knowing when you need a reset and knowing how to reset. Why is this important? Because a reset gets you back to where you need to be. That's the idea, okay? The concept of reset, for example, in your computers, when your computer operating system has gone uh, array in some way, you reset it, you reboot it to bring it back to where it needs to be. And the same is true for your life and my life. There are times that we need to be rebooted. We need to be reset. We need to get back to where we actually need to be because we drift off course. How many of you here today would just acknowledge that from time to time you drift a little bit? Go ahead and raise your hand. You drift a little bit in your spiritual relationship, and your other relationships, and your emotions, and all these realms of life, we tend to drift. And so if we don't do something about our drifting, we'll continue to drift in the wrong direction. And so resetting brings us back to where we need to be. And one of those resets that you have to learn how to do in your life is the resetting of your energy. Because as you go through life, there are times that you're going to simply get tired and weary and fatigued. And all of us have those moments when we are very, very tired and we're very weary. And it's not just a physical thing, but sometimes it's a spiritual and emotional thing that happens in us. And we're tired to the bone. We're just absolutely worn out. And that comes from time to time in our walk with God and just living our lives. And so when you get tired, what do you do? How do you get back to where you need to be? How do you re-energize yourself? 
And the Bible is very big in talking about how do we re-energize ourselves. We talked about one of those verses last week, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that says those that wait upon the Lord or trust in the Lord will renew their strength. That is, they'll get new energy. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And so there's the whole idea of trusting God, leaning into God for strength. And there are many other passages we could talk about that relate to the power or energy that God brings to your life. And last weekend I talked about two principles, two vital principles that help you as a part of this process. We talked about learning to put rest in its proper place, that our God is a God who focuses in upon rest. He taught us the principle of rest. In fact, the scripture says when God created the world after six days on the seventh day, he rested and he taught us the principle of the Sabbath. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And we learned the value of rest and rest is important to God. And we also talked last weekend about the importance of growing our trust because rest is not just something you experience physically, but it's something you have to experience emotionally and spiritually as well. And that comes from trusting in God. Today, I want to talk about two more very important principles when it comes to learning how to reset your energy. The first thing I'd like to talk about today is if you're going to reset your energy, you have to let go of some emotional weights in your life. You have to let go of emotional weights. In your life, there are times that your emotions will weigh you down. Your emotions will become very heavy. You ever had a day when you just felt a heaviness in your emotions and your feelings? And you couldn't even perhaps describe why it was there. Maybe you could describe where it came from, but you're just weighed down on the inside in your emotions. And if you don't deal with emotional weight in your life, what will happen is it will wear you out. You can have all the physical energy in the world, but if something's bothering you on the inside, it drains you. It just pulls away your energy. I want to take you to two verses of Scripture, actually passages of Scripture in the, in the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke that tells some very emotional stories of two men that went through some very emotional times. The first one is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of a young man who decided to leave home. We know him as the prodigal son. But I want to give you the essence of the emotions that this young man was going through along with his father and the setting there and how it affected his life and how it drained him of energy and how a relationship with the Father renewed that in his life. Notice Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 11. To illustrate the point further, that's the point that Jesus is making about finding the lost. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. While he, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love 
and compassion. I love that part of the story. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son who was in the, who was in the fields working When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Let me talk to you about this story for a moment. I want you to see not just the essence of the story, I want you to get the emotions of the story. What were the feelings that are behind all of this story that Jesus gave us? There was a day when a young man goes to his father and says, Dad, I got some plans for my life. I'm ready for my money now. In fact, I want it. I want what you're planning to give me when you die. I want you to give it to me now. In other words, he wished, in essence, his father dead. Just be as good as dead to me right now. I want everything you've got. Not, I don't care about you. I care about what you want to give me. So it's a very selfish orientation of this young man. Can you imagine with me the moment when that father heard the request of that son, how painful it must have been to the dad to hear the father the the son asking that of him but being a father that realized I've got to let my son do what my son wants to do he's got to find his own way in life he says I'm going to give to you what you're asking he gave him his inheritance and the son went away and the initial emotions of the son his emotions were very excited he was thrilled about his new opportunity his newfound freedom he's going out he's going to make the world in his liking he wants to do his own thing and he's happy about it It's not long before, after getting out into the world and trying a few things here and there, that he starts making some really bad choices and he wastes every bit of the resource that has been given to him and he finds himself in a predicament. And so he's gone from elation to depression. He's gone from excitement about his newfound freedom to now realizing the price that he's paying for the choices that he has made. And so he now has run out of money. He has nothing to eat at all. And so he goes to a farmer and says, will you hire me to do some work here? And the farmer says, sure, you can feed my pigs. Now, this was a Jewish young man. And so to understand the the degradation of this, to feed swine was one of the worst things you could imagine for a Jewish person because they were considered so unclean, swine were. And so here he is now in this very unclean, horrible situation. He has nothing to eat, so he eats the same food the pigs are eating. But the Bible says there's one day that he comes to his senses. He wakes up and says, I I don't like this life. I made a really big mistake. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to go to my dad I don't deserve to be a son any longer. He was feeling his guilt and shame for what he'd done. These were the emotions behind it. I'm going to go back home and say, Dad, would you just hire me to be one of your servants? I know that your servants are treated better than I'm being treated here. I just want to be a servant. I'm not, I know I can't be a son any longer, but can I be a servant? And so he goes back home, and the Bible says that when the father saw him coming, From a far distance, the father ran toward him and threw his arms around him with love and compassion and didn't call him a servant. He called him a son. 
this story is filled with lots of emotions. All the emotions of the initial elation to the depression, to the guilt and shame this young man felt, to the love and compassion the father felt toward the son when he comes back home, to the acceptance and restoration the son felt when the father reached out and restored him. But what I want you to see is this young man did not only have to deal with his sin, he had to deal with a lot of emotional baggage that went along with his sin. Amen? You ever notice in life that sometimes it's not just your mistakes that mess you up, it's the emotions that go along with your mistakes, right? And it's the stuff that gets on the inside of you that weighs you down and you're carrying guilt or shame or fear or worry or all these kinds of things inside of you and it's just draining the life out of you, the energy out of you. Let me take you to another story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I need to set this passage up for you as well so you'll understand what's going on here. It's a story of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, was a Jewish man who worked for Rome because during the time of Jesus' day, Rome uh, uh, was, was, was governing Palestine or Israel during this particular time. The Roman Empire was there uh, in that particular area. And so the, this, this man, Zacchaeus, had contracted with the Roman government, being a Jew, to collect taxes from his fellow citizens. And the way the system would work is that if you were a Jewish man collecting taxes for Rome, you would establish a quota with Rome, a certain amount of money that you would collect for them every, every year, and you would pay that to Rome. Anything you collected above and beyond that went in your own pockets. And so there was a lot of abuse that went along with this. And so here is Zacchaeus, who had made himself very wealthy, taking advantage of his fellow Jewish, his, his fellow neighbors, Jewish neighbors, the people that he lived with every day. He's taking advantage of them. He's He's, he's padding his own pockets on their backs, charging them taxes that they were not even due. And the Bible says that one day that Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to his town. This was the town of Jericho. And Zacchaeus said, boy, I'd like to see that guy. I don't really want him to see me, but I'd like to see him. I've heard some stories about him and realized he's a miracle worker. I'd love to see him. But there was another issue that Zacchaeus faced. He was short. So not only was he, was he not only feeling the guilt of what he was doing to his neighbors and to his friends by stealing from them, but he was also a bit insecure about the fact of, of his own stature. He was a short man. So when he hears that Jesus is coming, he runs into the town where Jesus is going to pass by, he climbs up into a tree, says, I'm going to hide here. I want to see him. don't want Jesus to see me. Let's go to the story now, Luke chapter 19. Beginning in verse number 5. When Jesus came by, that's where Zacchaeus was. He looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So Jesus knew his name. Jesus had never met him before, but he knew his name. Jesus knows your name. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He, had, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation or deliverance or freedom has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now we see emotions in this story. Here is Zacchaeus who was guilty of taking taking advantage of his fellow citizens, 
charging them too much money, getting wealthy at their expense. He knew that he'd done wrong. He felt that reality every day of his life and the shame that went along with it, but also the greed that he felt to have everything he could out of life materially. And he hears about Jesus, and Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. And there in that moment, he moves from a guilt-ridden person to someone that has, at least for the first time in a long time, some level of hope. For he says that when Jesus spoke those words, he responded with excitement and joy that Jesus would want to come to my house. Can you imagine that Jesus would want to come to my house, Zacchaeus thought. And Jesus goes home with him that day, and there in that moment... There's this interaction that happens between Zacchaeus and Jesus where there's a forgiveness of sins, there's a restoration of his life, the salvation that comes to him, and everything changes for Zacchaeus. His life is turned around. Emotions. Zacchaeus had to deal not only with his sin, but he also had to deal with the emotions of his sin. In life, you and I make mistakes along the way. There are times that just by reason of living life, we have to deal with emotions that happen to us. And it's important to realize that when these emotions get a grip on you, that it's important to learn how to process them well, or else they will drain the life out of you. The emotions might be the emotion of anger, that you're angry about something and it's just eating away at you and you're angry on the inside. And it's draining far more energy from you than you realize. It might be the emotion of grief that you've gone through a loss and that grief is still eating away at you. You've not been able to process that grief yet and that grief is draining your, your energy, your physical, spiritual, and emotional energy. It might be hopelessness in your life that you've lost hope, that you even have a future. It might be guilt or shame over something. It might be an offense that someone has committed against you and you feel a grudge on the inside of you uh, toward that person. I don't know what it may be in you, but I will tell you that if you and I do not deal well with the emotional baggage and emotional weights in our life, it will drain us. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. See what the scripture says in relationship to this. Get ready to circle a phrase here as we go through this. Therefore, the writer says, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, what's the next word there? Every weight, okay? And the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here, God says, there are things in your life that may not be a sin, but they can be a weight to you, and they will hinder you in your journey. I want to give you four words that will help you to understand what you do when you have an emotional weight in your life that needs to be resolved. Four words that will help you to do this. Number one is the word repentance. Write it down, repentance. I think we have the wrong concept at times of repentance. Repentance is not just feeling sorry about something. Repentance is changing, okay? Repentance is recognizing your need to change. That's all it is. Repentance is God getting your attention about something that He wants to help you with in your life. See, God is not sitting up in heaven with a big baseball bat looking for an opportunity to hit you, okay? And make you feel miserable about life. God is not against you. God is for you. Isn't that good to know? In fact, why don't we say together, God is for me. Come on, say it like you mean it. God is for me. 
And so even when God brings something to your attention, like a sin or a weight in your life, He brings it to your attention not to beat you up about it, not to make you feel miserable about it, but so you can, He can get, get your attention so that you can do something about it in your life, and that's called repentance. Repentance means, I want to change this. I don't want to stay in the same pathway. And the same is true when it comes to an emotional weight, whether it's hopelessness or despair or grief or anger, whatever it may be inside of you, you'll only deal with it when you recognize it, that it's there. When you come to your senses and say, this is really draining my life, and so I don't want to stay this way any longer. I want to change the way I'm thinking and living about this. And so there's a moment of repentance that says, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want my life to turn. I want my life to change. Can I ask you today, do you want your life to turn? Do you want your life to change in a better direction? It's called repentance, okay? It's not God beating you up. It's God helping you out, okay? And then from that repentance comes the next word I will give you. That's the word release, that when God brings you, makes you aware of something in your life, then you repent. You say, God, I see that. I get that. I understand that. I I grasp that. Now I want to release that to you. I want to bring it to you. We know this classically in the area of your sin. When you realize that you've done something wrong, The release happens when you go to God and confess your sin. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the cleansing. That's the release. But emotions have to be released to God as well. If you're angry about something or angry at somebody, instead of going directly to them first, why don't you go to God first? Amen? Okay. You go to God first, say, God, I need to pour out this stuff that's in me and get it right with you so that I can have the right attitude in my heart and so you can begin to work in me. I want this thing cleansed out of me and released from me and you can actually work through things. You'll be better able then to have, if necessary, the right communication with someone else if you've gone to God first, okay? But it starts with God. And so we repent, we release. We're beginning to let go of it with God. You say, well, how do I do that? I'll give you a great example of how you can do this in your life. Read through the book of Psalms. Because in the book of Psalms, you'll find the psalmist David over and over again pouring out his emotions to God. He is really raw. He is really honest in the way that he deals with things. And I would highly recommend that as you're learning how to be honest with God about stuff in your life, that you read through this this, this wonderful book, 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. You can read through it every month by reading five Psalms a day. Very simple to do. And it's one of the ways that I try to do it uh, fairly regularly in my life is I take the day of the month. For example, today is the 11th. I'll read Psalm 11. I'll read Psalm, I'll add 30 to that, uh, chapter 41, chapter 71, chapter 101, and chapter 131, and I've read five Psalms. Tomorrow I'll read Psalm 12, Psalm 42, Psalm 72, Psalm 102, and Psalm 132. And so if I do that, I can read five Psalms a day, and at the end of every month, I've read through the book of Psalms entirely. And it's a great way not just to read, but it's also a great way to pray. Many times I find myself praying exactly what David was writing there in those Psalms. It becomes my prayer journal, my prayer book, okay? But it's pouring your heart out to God. So you come to God in repentance. You come to God recognizing the emotions that are holding you back and holding you down. You bring them to God in release. Say, God, I want to give them to you. And the third word is restoration. That's the key to writing it down. That that word, write it down. Restoration. Restoration is not what you do. Restoration now is what God does. Let me have an amen right there, right? 
You do the repentance, you do the release, but then when you do the repentance and you do the release, what does God do? God does the restoration. What is restoration? He fixes stuff in your life. I think somebody ought to say hallelujah right there, okay? God fixes stuff that you can't fix. Think about that son that we talked about earlier in Luke chapter 15, that when he realized that he wanted to go back home and all he wanted to be was a servant, he said, if I can just serve my dad, I don't even need to be a son anymore, any longer. But the Bible says that while this son was afar off, that this father saw him and came running to him and threw his arms around him and didn't call him a servant, he called him a son and brought him back home and restored him in relationship and restored him with celebrating his return. I'll tell you something. God, our God, is a good God. He is a God of restoration. He can put your life back together again, okay? And there are people that are in this worship center right now and across all of our campuses that can stand up and testify, I came to God in repentance. I began to release all of my brokenness to God. I began to open up my life to Him. And I'm a different person today than I was when I came to Jesus because He's done a restoring work in my life. Is it done yet? No, it's not done yet. But I will tell you, He will finish the good work that He began in your life. How many can say that God's already done some restoration in you? Amen? He's a restoring God. Zacchaeus saw the restoration in his life. And the last word I'll give you here is the word restitution. The reason I use that word restitution primarily, as I told the earlier service this morning, is because I needed another R word, okay? (laughs) Just to make it work for the teaching method here, okay? But really, the idea of restitution comes from the concept of Zacchaeus. What he did, the Bible says that after Jesus saved him... And restored him. What did he say? Well, I'm going to go out and do some good things. I'm going to go back and give back to people that I've taken from. I'm going to get busy doing right with my life. In other words, his life was turned around in such a way that he began to serve other people and serve the kingdom of God. And so here's the key. When you're weighted, weighed, weighed down with emotional baggage, you need to recognize it and want to change it. Okay, That's called repentance. You need to bring it to God and release. Say, God, I need to give this to you. And then to pray your way through it, to release it to God. You need to open your life to his restoration. Then rise up and begin to live with restitution. Live a life that is positive and it's momentum toward other people serving them. Amen? The second thing I want to share with you today, if you're not going to reset our energy, is we must also make the decision to restore or I should say, actively engage in life. Actively engage in life. Energy reproduces energy. It's easier to keep something moving that is already moving than it is to start something moving that has stopped. Correct? When you think about these, these uh, rockets that are shot up into the moon or in the atmosphere, satellites that are put into space and so forth, there's this, this rocket, this boost that goes up, this blast that sends them out of the atmosphere. And what I'm told, I don't know the specifics in terms of percentages, but I'm told that a, a significant amount of the fuel that is used up in getting that satellite in space or that rocket ship in space is is used up in the initial blast making uh, breaking the pull of gravity and so most of the energy is used in the initial movement okay the same is true in, in in many ways of life 
the initial movement, trying to get something that has stopped moving, you have to put some impetus into it. You have to put some energy, extra energy into it. But once the ball is rolling, it's a lot easier to keep it rolling. Correct? All right. So what you want to do in life, you don't want to be living your life where you're always having to kind of get yourself going again. Okay? You kind of come down, you stop. Oh, I got to get going again. Oh, and somebody has to give you a push. You got to put a lot of energy and try to get going again. The best way to maintain your energy is to stay in motion. Amen? Okay. It's called momentum. Okay. And the more momentum there is in your life, the easier it is to stay in momentum. This is an example of this. Many years ago, when if you would go into to, to a hospital for, for significant surgery, I mean, you'd have surgery, and they would leave you in the hospital for five or six days in the bed, just laying there, oh, I had surgery, okay, I had surgery. Don't move, you had surgery, okay? So you're in the bed for five or six days. You know what they do nowadays? You have surgery, and they learn something. You realize the best way to bring recuperation to someone is as soon as possible after the surgery. What are they doing? They're getting you up and doing what? moving you around. Why? Because they realize that the best thing to do is not to leave you lacking the momentum, but to keep you in momentum because there's an energy. Let me ask you this question. Who has the most energy in their life? The person that daily walks on the treadmill or runs on the treadmill or exercises or the person that lays on the couch all day? Who has more energy? Right? Are you with me here? Okay. So there's a certain dimension of action that generates energy. Energy reproduces energy, okay? When you stop the flow of energy, it takes a lot more energy to get it going again, and there's a lot less likely chance that you will get the energy going again. Take a look at some scriptures with me. Ecclesiastes, the writer here, Solomon, describes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse number 6. Plant your seed in the morning and keep, what's the next word there? busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe from both. Here the writer says you got to make sure when you wake up in the morning get out there planting your seed, okay? And then don't 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 break apart the the process in the afternoon. Make sure that you stay busy all afternoon. You don't know what kind of profit will come in your life. Jesus reminded or God reminded us of this as giving us the 10 commandments. He said, "6 days shalt thou thou labor, on the 7th day is a Sabbath, a day of rest." We like to turn that around, don't we wish it was six days thou shalt rest and one day thou shalt labor. But Jesus said, no, six days you shall labor and then one day is a day of rest. So there's something about this energy. Luke 19, 12 and 13, therefore he said, a certain nobleman, Jesus speaking here, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minus and said to them, do business till I come. That is, occupy till I come. Stay busy doing something with your life. See, even we as Christians. We don't sit around and just sort of wait till Jesus comes back again. No, we're going to be busy until Jesus comes back again doing the work of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, that's you and me, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live, what kind of lives? 
idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We, were, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard, how often? Day and night, so we would not be a burden to any of you. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians and said, guys, you remember when we came to preach the gospel to you? We paid for everything that we, 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 we took, we, we had. We didn't charge it to you. We were, we were engaged. We worked hard day and night. In fact, there was a time in Paul's ministry that to supplement his own income to make sure he had enough, he worked a job. He was a tent maker just to make sure he had enough so he didn't have to be a burden on anybody else. He said, look at us. We work hard. We engage energy. Let's continue down in the same chapter, chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Notice what happens here. Uh, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Notice there's this connection that if you want energy, keep on doing good. So the essence of what I want to give you today is this. There are times in life that you're going to need to reset your energy. There are, there are things that you can do to keep your energy where it needs to be because your energy is the capacity to do things with your life. You can't accomplish what God has for you without energy. How do you do it? You make sure that you are offloading your emotional weights. They're very sneaky. They can sneak up upon you and drain your energy. So you must learn to consistently bring them to God in repentance and, re and with release. Let Him restore you. Get you moving again. And when you start moving, stay moving. Don't become idle. Energy reproduces energy. Stay in the momentum of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so grateful that you've spoken to us and you're teaching us about how to reset energy in life. And I pray that something that's been said today, Lord, would find its way into every heart and life, that you'll remind each of us of some principle, some truth that we need to apply in our lives today. I pray you'll take this message and multiply it, use it for the advance of your kingdom in us. And Lord, I want to pray especially for people here today that's, that are going through maybe an emotionally draining time in life right now. Maybe there's some things that are weighing them down. I pray that today would be their day of releasing that to you. And God, I ask you to do today what only you can do in people's lives, and that's to bring restoration. I pray, Lord, that you would restore souls today, restore energy. Lord, get us up and moving and show us how we can stay moving for the work of your kingdom and for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that 
that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.